Your Bibles are open to Acts chapter 2. Hold that place there. We will come to it in just uh, a moment. But back in 2006, which seems like yesterday in some respects, but the calendar tells us that it was uh, seven years ago now, I shared with you a vision for our church that came from Psalm 71. Anybody remember that? Yes, good. Because not only was it for uh, seven years ago, but I I shared it with you in such a way that I was hopeful and prayerful that it would be for us a guide to ministry, not just uh, uh, a platform to help us to explain the building of a children, preschool, and youth building, but also to be a, a basis of ministry for us. And it has served us well. And I want to say to you this morning that we are certainly not forgetting about that or changing that vision. And in fact, we're just really expanding upon that, upon that vision. Now this morning, I want to take some time to review that vision and to ask you to think about an additional challenge. Again, please understand that this is not changing the vision for our church because we cannot change that. But in a sense and in a way that this is updating the vision. In some respects, the vision that I want to share with you this morning is more more basic than the Psalm 71 vision, which we came to call Vision 71 because it came from Psalm 71. It's, It's more basic than even than that vision. But since, thankfully, the Lord, as Acts chapter 2, verse 47 states it, the Lord is continually adding to His church, uh, we have need from time to time, I think, to revisit our mission, our vision, our core values. And I want to take a moment to do that in way of review first this morning, and then we'll come to Acts chapter 2. I remind you of the focal verse from Psalm 71. It's found in in verse 18. And the Bible says in Psalm 71, verse 18, even when I am old and gray. Now, I didn't say that. The Bible says that, all right? But it says there, even when I am old and gray, God, do not uh, abandon me. Then I will proclaim your power to another generation, your salvation to all who are to come. Psalm 71, verse 18. And from that verse and from the context of those verses around it, then we explored together and we still have this, uh, our goal and mission of ministry that God would use us to do four things. What are they? If you don't know them, write them down this morning, please. Number one, our church continues, will continue, has always, will continue to preach the same gospel. Our church continues to preach the same gospel. First Baptist Church began in 1902. I think one of the greatest, most interesting things about the first meeting of the First Baptist Church of Lafayette, Louisiana is that it met down the street in the Jewish synagogue and did for some while. The history books tell us that that first pastor was well known in this, in this particular downtown area for riding a bicycle door to door, inviting people to come to 
know Jesus Christ and come to, to this church. And since that day, our church has believed that it is our mission that we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with everyone. Of course, you know that my predecessor, Brother Perry Sanders, when he came to this church, he asked the church to do five things. And, and the one that I want to remind you of today, of those five things, is that the church would have a continuing visitation evangelism program. And since his coming back in 1959, First Baptist Church of Lafayette has had a continuing visitation evangelism program. Some say, well, that's, well, that's out of date. Nobody does that anymore. I want you to know that Tuesday night when we had our first time together, uh, there were people here who wanted to be a part in, in, in doing that. And I want you to know that out of the seven people that are saying that they want to be trained for the very first time in sharing their faith, three of them were teenagers. And so don't tell me that no one wants to do that anymore. Because we believe that that's what we ought to do. If heaven is real, if hell is real, if heaven is only for those who believe in Jesus Christ, and eternal hell is for those who don't believe in Jesus Christ, it is important that we preach the same gospel and that we use every resource that we have and that we use every sermon that we preach and we use every Bible study that we have, we use every gathering that we can to expose people to the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel that brings good news. It is the gospel that saves. Not a church. And so this church must continue to preach the same gospel because we read in the book of Acts that there is no other name under heaven given among men which, by which we must be saved. But secondly, we also believe that we must preach this same gospel to the next generation. Psalm 71, verse 18, Even when I'm old and gray, I would declare uh, your power to another generation. And I've told you before, and I will continue to tell us, that we believe that it is the command of God to reach the next generation. We cannot do anything about the generation that has already passed. We cannot do anything about the generation of uh, those who are going to come beyond our lifetime. But we must do all that we can do about reaching the next generation because we are only one generation away from extinction, right? And as great as things might be in your life, as great as things might be in relationship to your salvation and your family's salvation, all of that goes away if we do not make sure the next generation gets it. And so, we are not going to make any apology for the fact that it is our mission that this next generation gets it. And I want to tell you this morning that we've gotten better at it, but I also want to tell you that we've got to get better at it. We've got to get better at reaching this next generation. Thirdly, we must ultimately preach this same gospel to all the nations. Just as it is the command of God to reach the next generation, it is also the command of God to reach all the nations. Now here's the good news. 
The good news is, is that this next generation, when they are reached, if they are reached, I see in them people who are tremendously passionate about reaching the nations. And so when we reach the next generation, we have moved another step toward reaching the nations. And it will be our church's mission to reach and preach to all the nations. And then fourthly, we have said that we must do all of this all for God's glory, not our own. And we must never forget that the reason that we do all of this is all for God's glory. These four core values, I pray, will continue to guide our decisions and our ministry. Today, I come to remind us of how we are to do that as a church. If that is, if that is what we are to do, then I, I want to begin to talk about this morning in Acts chapter 2, how we are to do that as, as a church. What will be the means to do this as a church? How did the first church, after Christ's resurrection and ascension, do this? We, we find our answers in, in Acts chapter 2. Here, here is what they did. Would you read this scripture again? Look at it. And they devoted themselves, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. The Bible says in verse 43, Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together, all in, and had everything in common. So, so they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. And every day, every day, they devoted themselves to meeting together, in the temple complex, and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and uh, simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day, the Lord added to them those who were being saved. Would you just for a moment consider kind of that whole passage with me today? I want to eventually come today to to zero in on a particular aspect of it and then continue the other aspects in subsequent weeks. But, but I think we've got to begin by just understanding the overview of this particular passage. These described in Acts chapter 2 were authentic believers in Jesus Christ. The above passage tells us about the preaching of Peter. And he calls them to a point of invitation. In fact, he doesn't so much call them to a point of invitation as they say, we want to believe. What do we do? We believe that message. Now, now what do we do? And so this, this was a group of authentic believers in, in Jesus Christ. They, they believed. And as a result of their belief, they were baptized. See, in the New Testament, when these early believers were professing faith in Jesus Christ, the writers of the, uh, of, of the New Testament, the apostles, those who were believing, they could not find any distinction between those who were believing in Jesus Christ and those who were being baptized. To, to be a believer in Jesus Christ, to, to come to that place to identify with Jesus Christ, was also to come to that place where that person wanted to be baptized. 
And the reason that I want to make so much of that this morning is that I believe that there will be people here today, this morning, who at the end of our service, at our time of invitation, will, will have to say, I believe in Jesus Christ, but I've never been baptized. I want to do that. And I want to respond in that kind of way to do that. Let God touch your heart about that, even today. So they were becoming believers, and because they were becoming believers, they were being baptized. And verses 42 through 47 then tell us that as they were becoming believers, and as they were being baptized, something else happened. And that is, they banded themselves together. They banded themselves together in such a way that they would let nothing come between them. Why is it that we let so so many little things come between us? That ought not happen. Ought not be that someone says that this is the way I like it, and so because this is not being done, I'm not going to be a part. Ought not be that way, folks. Won't read any of that in the New Testament. But instead, what you'll read in the New Testament as the, these believers who were believing in Jesus Christ, who were being baptized for it, they were all together. And nothing, nothing was going to keep them from being all together in that regard. And so as a church, we see them share these kinds of commitments the commitments of this church well first they were devoted to the apostles teaching the bible tells us i'm going to call that discipleship because they were using the teaching of the apostles they were using the word of god to help them to become fully devoted followers of jesus christ not only were they devoted to the apostles' teaching, which is discipleship, they were also devoted to fellowship. Now notice that this word devoted can, is, a, is an adjective that describes uh, all of these things together. They were devoted to discipleship. They were devoted to fellowship. The Bible tells us that they were devoted to prayer. Not just individually, but prayer together. They came together, and when they did, they prayed. And all throughout the book of Acts, and if you'll use your prayer guide, you'll see some of this. Whenever the early church had a decision to make, they prayed. Whenever the early church had a problem, they prayed. They didn't panic. They didn't form uh, 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 sign a petition. They didn't hold some kind of protest. They prayed. And as they prayed, and when they prayed, God answered them so they were devoted to discipleship they were devoted to fellowship devoted to fellowship now they were devoted to prayer the bible also tells us that they were devoted to worship there was a sense of awe that came over them they were they were meeting daily in the temple complex they were coming together for these for these purposes praising god together and yes They were devoted to stewardship. They were devoted to giving in such a way that when they banded together, they recognized that the needs of the group were even greater than their own needs. God has called us to that same kind of characteristic stewardship. 
The reason that I want us to take a hard look at this passage is because these are the very things that will happen in this new building. Be a place that is dedicated to the teaching of the Word of God. It will be a place that is dedicated to fellowship. They have a place to come together. We say, well, well, they did that in homes to homes. They did. But they also did that in coming together and having a central place. 500 folks won't fit at my house. How about yours? Be good to have a place to, to come together for, for these purposes. In our new building, there's going to be a room that is devoted for the purposes of prayer. We're going to continue to be a worshiping church and a church based upon stewardship. Now look at the results. We're going to keep coming back to these these results. But as a result of doing these things, the Lord continued to prove Himself to them so that there was a sense of awe about them. A sense of excitement about them. They experienced miracles together. They had favor with one another. They didn't work on favor. It just happened as a result of their focus being on these other areas. And every day, people were being saved. We're going to talk about those things over these five Sundays of September. For a moment, could you just allow me to zero in on this issue of discipleship? We're almost done. Discipleship through His Word. Our our church must be built upon the foundation of the Word of God. Let me say that as far as I know anything about it, this church has always been built on the foundation of the Word of God. And it will continue to be. And I can't promise you a lot of things, but I can promise you this, that when I stand before you, I will hold God's Word in my hands and preach from that because, quite frankly, I'm not good enough to do anything else. Don't know enough to do anything else. And so that will be the standard bearer of those times that we come together. The Bible will be the rock upon which we stand. We will be known as a church of the Bible. We will be unashamed in saying that we believe the Bible. We will be unashamed about saying that we believe that the Bible is true. The Bible will be our foundation. And so as a way to draw some point of application to this this morning, I want you to think with me about five words, five attitudes that must characterize our church's pursuit of the study of God's Word. First word is this, devotion. Devotion. I am am drawn to this phrase in verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I'm drawn to that phrase. Devoted. I've got to ask myself over and over and over again, are we devoted? I mean, we have a Bible study, we have we have uh, discipleship classes. We have ladies' Bible studies. We have different kinds of meetings. We, we open the Word of God together. We put it up on the screens. We have Bibles in the pews. But can every single one of us, if we're going to be all in, can every single one of us say that there is going to be a devotion in our life to the pursuit of the Word of God so that in that devotion, in the pursuit of the Word of God, 
discipleship happens, we begin looking more and more and more like Jesus. Devotion. The second word that I want to leave with you today is the word intention. And that is to suggest to us this morning from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, that there must be something intentional about us to be devoted to the pursuit of the Word of God. Notice that they devoted themselves together in meeting together in the temple complex. There's an intention about it. Is there intentionality in your life about the pursuit of the Word of God? I think here's one of the ways to figure that out in your life. Think about any given weekend, any given Sunday. And do you look forward and expect it to come, to be taught the Word of God? Is it something that's on your calendar or do Or do you say on Saturday night or Sunday morning, well, I guess. Nothing else going on today. I guess we'll make it. See, all in. 100% intention. I see in this passage that there is an intentionality to the study of God's Word. There's devotion, there's intention. But thirdly, I want to leave you with the word application. And that is that the emphasis in the apostles' teaching was not just on information, but application. And maybe add a word there, not just application, but transformation. Because I believe this. You know, I I know and I realize that some would argue that there is a an ignorance about the Bible today, and, and I understand that, and that probably is true to a certain extent. But I, I tell you, there's another group of folks, and, and maybe, maybe we would say our own life reflects that sometimes, that, that quite frankly, we've got all the information that we need about God. What we need instead is transformation. What we need is application. And when this church came together to be taught the Word of God, they were not only being informed by it, but they were applying it to their lives so that it worked itself out in their daily lives. And that was because of the word number four that I'm going to give you, and that is submission. Submission. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The the word and the idea of of apostles has has an idea of an authority about it. And they recognize the authority of the apostles. Now, and let me be clear about this this morning. I'm not asking you, because we live in a different era, we live in a different day, I'm really not asking you to look at my teaching as being one in authority. I'm not asking you to look at your Bible teacher as being one of authority over you. really not asking you to do that. Don't have to ask you to do that. But rather what I'm asking of you today is that you recognize the authority of the Word of God. And in recognizing the authority of the Word of God, there ought to be a submission to it. There ought to be a submission of agreement to it to say, 
because that is the authoritative Word of God, there is no debate. There is no rebuttal. I will do what it says to do. Submitting to it. Now here's the way that that ought to be worked out in your life. You don't decide if you're going to be submissive to the Word of God once you understand what the Word of God is. What the Word of God is saying to you. Once you understand what God is asking you to do. You decide that you're going to be submissive before you even understand what it is. Submission. And the final word that I want to leave with you is expectation. Expectation. Verse 47, a wonderful result. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. This was the byproduct of the pursuit of God's Word. And I want to tell you, that I want us to seek a deeper commitment that we will expect that. Sometimes when there's no decisions, I, I, I don't try, I, I, in fact, I try not to this happen, but it must be, that, that, because so often people say, well, you must be disappointed. Well, let me explain that disappointment. I expect good things to happen. I believe the Word of God. And I expect that the Word of God, when delivered rightly and properly, ought not return void. And so, yes, don't call it a disappointment. Call it an expectation that the Word of God is alive and active and cuts to the heart and causes people to see Christ. And as a result, people are saved. I've been reading in in recent nights a massive biography about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer. I feel certain I'll get through it one day because I'm enjoying it, but it's 600 pages long, so I'm kind of wading through it a little bit. It's a new biography written by Eric Matejas. If you're not familiar with Bonhoeffer, he was a Christian pastor and theologian that stood against Hitler in those days. Eventually, Bonhoeffer would be executed for his involvement in efforts to overthrow Hitler's regime. Madejas uh, writes about Bonhoeffer's early career as a lecturer of theology at University of Berlin. Matejas writes this in way of introduction about his teaching. He says Bonhoeffer's interest was not only in teaching them as a university lecturer, he wished to disciple them in the true life of the Christian. This ran the gamut from understanding current events through a biblical lens to reading the Bible, not just as a theology student, but as a disciple of Jesus Christ. This approach, he writes, was unique among German university theologians of that era. He quotes one of the students of Bonhoeffer's in those days and says that this student remembered. He said, when you read the Bible, you must think that here and now, God is speaking with me. Yet another student said, he taught us that the Bible goes directly into your life to where your problems are. It's that kind of view of the Bible that must guide our lives. It's that kind of view of the Bible that must guide our church's ministry. It's that kind of view of the Bible that must help us and lead us to say that we are going to be devoted to discipleship. 
that we're going to be devoted to a passionate pursuit of the Word of God. It's why Joshua, or it's why God said to Joshua, as is recorded in Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may observe to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Of all of the quotes from Bonhoeffer's writings that I've come across so far, I am particularly drawn to this one by Bonhoeffer himself. When after visiting, unfortunately, the liberal churches of the Northeast of the United States of America back in the 1930s, Bonhoeffer said of those churches, there's no sense to expect the fruits where the Word really is not being preached. Wow. And so I stand before you again this morning to say to us again that we are going to be a church that is going to be all in. And in the first place, we are going to be a church that is all in to the Word of God. And if that can't be so, then quite frankly, we need a major awakening and revival in our church. Now what is, what is true in a pretty regular sense? I would ask that it would be true in 100%. We'd be all in. We'd be all in to the passionate, devoted pursuit of the Word of God. And in so believing, we would believe that results would be coming. Would you bow your heads with me today? We're going to have an invitation. We're going to sing, I surrender all. I'm going to be standing here at the front. Some of our pastors will as well. We're standing here to to greet you and to help you in your decision that, that you're making. We're making a change in the format, the way that we do that beginning today. We're not going to introduce you. We're going to lead you out, lead out, lead you out of this building, and and spend just about five minutes with you, helping you with your decision, uh, giving you some materials, giving you uh, some information about our church. We want you to come. It won't take but a minute. Those who are with you, they'll wait for you just a second. I want you to come today, and say, "This is what I want to do. This is the commitment of my life." Some of you may be here, ready to join our church can't really be all in if you're not going to say i want to be a part of you every day i want to be a part of the ministry i want to be part of the giving i want to be part of the learning together i want to be part of the evangelism together you come today let me pray for you then we'll stand father would you help us in these moments clarify decisions help us in these things in jesus name amen would you stand please you come as the rest of us sing